Welcome to my podcast, Masterpiece and Mess. And this is your host, Madeline Wright. Here we explore unedited stories and journeys of growth, greater self-expression, and better well-being. Our stories can often be painful and less than perfect, and yet that is where the true power of storytelling lies, in the folly and bewilderment, to quote Hermann Hesse. This podcast is for honest conversations that are steeped in vulnerability and growth, hopefully creating a space for more honesty, more compassion, and a mirror in which to view ourselves as the masterpieces in the making that we all are, despite our messiness. Hello, Nikki. <laughs> Hello, Marlene. So lovely to, to have you here. Before we start, Nikki, let me introduce you. Nikki Klute is a professional life coach, mindfulness coach, and certified yoga teacher based in Scarborough, South Africa. Nikki interweaves formal coaching techniques with mindfulness practices and breathwork to facilitate, support, and sustain positive change with her clients. Her niche is corporate mindfulness training and executive coaching, where she engages with progressive leaders to help them navigate their lives with more presence, clarity, focus, and ease. Um, welcome to today's episode. It's really delightful to have you here. Thank you, Marlene. It's wonderful to be here, and it's absolutely terrifying because you had Anthony Osler, I think, <laughs> the last, was that the last one that you did? And he is, to me, just the most unbelievably inspirational person and teacher for me. And to think that I might be sitting on the same podium as him, even virtually, is, it doesn't feel right. But perhaps that's imposter syndrome kicking in right there. <laughs> I think it is. It really is delightful to have you here. And you know, Nikki, when I first met you, which must have been about, gosh, I don't know, five years perhaps ago, I haven't really done the math. You and I were both at a retreat working. You were teaching and leading the yoga classes and I was catering. And I just remember having this instant rapport with you and this lovely ease in our conversation. It felt like I'd known you for years. Um, and then when I suddenly realized, well, Nikki has to be on the podcast, it just uh, like the perfect, yeah, final. That's lovely. Yeah, we, do, we get to do something together. That's wonderful. And I remember that retreat very, very well. And I remember being very much, <clears throat> excuse me, in awe of you as well, because I had your books and or I had one of your books. And I then bought, I think you gifted me. No, I bought. I bought one of your books and you wrote in the front of it. And I remember being a little bit starstruck because <laughs> I'd been following your work for a long time. And you, yeah, you you are everything I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. That's lovely. Well, I feel the same. Um. It is, it's actually absolutely the way I feel. I've, you know, I've recently qualified as a coach. And so I feel such awe and um, admiration 
for the work that you do. And I have so much to learn from what you do. And one of the reasons why I've asked you to be on the podcast um, and just want to, of course, the first reason is would love for you to share your wisdom and your story with us. Um, but yeah, I, I follow you on social media and your vulnerability and honesty with your posts have also always just been such a punch to the gut, you know, and I believe, you know, hence the podcast that our true power lies within that um, willingness to stand in our story and honestly tell it mm -hmm. and also hold that mirror up for other people so it can inspire them to really inhabit and harness their story and use it as yeah the the way to to really move into their greatest purpose their clarity um to create a softness within them to create more mm -hmm. softness in the world when they're willing to be open and honest about their story and that's what's always really struck me about you so let's dive into the very first question, which is a big question. Um, tell me as much as you feel like sharing with me and the listeners about your story up until where we, where you are now. So I love that you say as much as you feel comfortable. I can't remember your exact words because I do often have to be careful about that line between sharing and oversharing um but the 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 reason i do share a lot is because through my recovery from addiction which i'll get to in a minute i always hold on to the one phrase that we're only as sick as our secrets and for so long i did feel that i had these these shameful secrets that I had to hide. And it was so exhausting trying to hide these facets of myself and of my life and of my, of my experience and my past. And the only way that I have found ease through many years of therapy and lived experience, I guess, is to present myself as a whole, a W-H-O-L-E, not an H-O-L-E. And to not try and pretend to be anything that I'm not. And to talk openly about the things that have helped me to get where I am today. And I'm by no means the finished article, but I've realized it's a journey and I love that every time I do share something openly and honestly and vulnerably, the amount of engagement I get from the people on social media, for example, or on any of my platforms is so overwhelming. And I see that people respond to the, 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 the ugly bits, the truthful bits, the bits that bring us all together you know our collective human experience um so the the secrets that i kept hidden for a long time and now that i have processed enough to be able to share um 
uh, you know, you never want to define yourself by what happened to you in the past, and I hope I don't, but I mentioned the addiction. The addiction was born out of uh, early childhood trauma. Um, I think you know, I think most of, if not all of the people that follow me on social media know that I was, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to say a victim of, because I hate that terminology. When I was 13, we had a home invasion and our house was yeah, broken into and the person who broke in raped me in my bed, in my family home at the age of 13. And it being the 80s, there wasn't support. So the person was eventually caught and there was no secret there. My family, my friends, my school teachers knew what had happened, but it was very much swept under the carpet. And even the fact that I spiraled into a deep depression, um, self-harm and um, bunking school and all sorts, my marks plummeted. I, I found out yesterday actually that my mother used to read my journal because she was concerned about suicide. I, I didn't know that. I mean, to this day, it's not really something that's discussed. And I found that alcohol was a very convenient way to push those very confusing, difficult feelings away. And what I didn't realize is that what started out as a coping mechanism ended up as an addiction. And one that I overcame almost 10 years ago. Um, through that process of learning to sit with the uncomfortable feelings um, without pushing them away, without using a crutch like alcohol, it got me further onto or deeper into my mindfulness path, which, to be honest, had been there from when I was in my late teens. It was the first time I started going to yoga practices and getting into meditation. But I almost lived this dual, this double life, where there was the spiritual, sober me, and then there was the bypassing, survival mode me. And fortunately, um, at a point in my life, I was forced to make a choice between which of those two personas I wanted to take forward in my life. And the choice was clear. So yeah, that, that history, that background very much informs the way that I show up for my clients and the way that I live my life. Um, it was such a joy to find out that I wasn't the only one and that so many of my experiences are shared, whether it's a sense of having been um, failed by my parents, my wonderful parents who I love deeply, uh, failed by a system that didn't understand. Um, this experience of trying, having tried to find my own way and stumbling repeatedly um, the experience of being far from perfect, but eventually coming to accept that that's okay. And yeah, it's, it's a, I'm by no means there. So 
I learn every single day. And the reason that I love speaking to people like you is that, yes, you may have recently qualified as a coach, but you've been living your life since you were born. And the learnings are huge. And sometimes we just formalize them through a certification. But speaking to people like yourself, learning from people like Anthony Osler, trying to find a way of living that brings ease and peace and acceptance. Um, that's what it's all about for me. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. That is very courageous. Um, there's so much in there I can relate to. Uh, and what you said about the secrets, the secrets that we hide is that directly relates to how sick we are. And um, I love what it reminded me of what Brene Brown says about shame that, you know, it dissolves when it's, when it's, um, if you put shame and, and compassion in a petri dish, it dissolves the shame. And that's exactly what I heard in your story. Um, and also what really struck me is that you learned to become uncomfortable or to learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable feelings. Um, mm. And that was a huge turning point in your life when you no longer needed something to numb yourself mm. with and you just were able to mm. sit with those feelings. And I'm wondering mm. what... Um, what gave you the courage? Because I think it takes a huge amount of courage to soberly mm. go into your life and decide to put that substance down and just mm. move forward and also sit with that pain mm. and the suffering, mm. the darkness that could come as a result. Mm. For me, it was... I don't know that it was courageous. I think it was desperate. And I think that it came from realizing that I was on the road to destruction, self-destruction. Um, and just realizing that something fundamental had to change. So I was dabbling in the feeling of sitting with uncomfortable feelings for a long time before I actually went to outpatient rehab and made the conscious decision that I was never again going to use any mind-altering substances. Um, so it was a point where I'd been trying to I think for anyone who has given up a substance or has been addicted to a substance will know that the, the thought of living your life without it can be so overwhelming that I just couldn't even comprehend it being a possibility in my life. But I would go for lengthy periods of time where I wouldn't drink at all. So I'd have these lengthy periods where I'd live my life showing up fully for whatever was there. And I do think I did a fair amount of healing and processing in those times. But then there'd always be a time that I'd think, oh, let me try and drink again, like everyone can drink. Um, and maybe this time it will be different. And I would always let myself down. Well, that was what I thought I was doing, was letting myself down. But actually, it was just my addicted mind 
going, right, there's my stuff. I want more, 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 more. Um, and it was that kind of vacillating between those two states that eventually became unbearable. And it didn't feel courageous to choose to go the difficult way. It felt like survival because I knew that if I didn't choose wisely, I would probably have stood to lose everything in my life that was dear to me. Um, I remember hearing a story, you know, the way mothers can skinner, can gossip at school drop-off um, when my kids were still very little. And I remember a story was doing the rounds that a, there was a mother at a school that I won't mention who was found passed out outside the school tuck shop with a cool drink bottle full of vodka. And I never hit a rock bottom like that. I never did all the things that people think you need to do before you have an epiphany or have your your rock bottom. I didn't do anything like that. I didn't drink in the morning. I didn't um, I didn't fall over. I didn't embarrass myself. Well, I did once or twice, but it wasn't that. But I remember hearing that story and just being so filled with compassion for this poor woman who all the other mothers were disgusted about and just thinking, my God, that could be me. And just going, shit, I, I, I've got to stop sooner rather than later. Yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> um, and when you decided, I mean, had you that conscious decision to um, move into a life where you're not using any mind-altering substances, mm -hmm. um, what has been your greatest um, lesson out of sobriety where you, you know, fully present and alive mm. and feeling everything mm. in every day. What's been the greatest gifts or lessons in that? Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. I think that I, I hit a sweet spot in terms of making that decision because it hadn't got so bad that any damage was irreparable. Um and it had got bad enough for me to be so grateful. I was so grateful to eventually stop. It, it feels like the best gift I've ever given myself. And that's not to say it wasn't flippin' hard um, initially. But now I've always been a little bit high on life. I've always been excited about this, the tiny things like the way that spiders, I don't know if you've ever seen, but I saw one yesterday. Sometimes they just appear in the air. I was on the beach and a spider came drifting past on a thread of silk and there were no trees around. And I just had this thought of, this is just spectacular, this world that we're living in, where there are all these little microorganisms and insects and creatures and magic is happening all around us. Um, so for me, this gift of being fully present for all of that, yes, you have to sit through what they call the, the dark nights of the soul and heartbreak and loss and grief and pain and 
disillusionment and self-doubt and all these things, you feel them acutely. But I feel those magical moments more acutely as well. And I just, I, I feel giddy at the, the joy, the thrill of another day, stone cold sober. It's like that Aerosmith song where he says, I don't want to miss a thing. Um, so yeah, it's that. It's it's not, like I say, it's not just bliss. And I am constantly watching myself for my addiction to pop up in other areas because even though it's been ten, almost 10 years, I still find those old habits of trying to avoid difficult feelings sneaking in and sometimes they take the form of impulse buying and sometimes they take the form of sudoku popping up on my phone and me playing these games uh it used to be rearranging my furniture um binge watching tv programs you know so there's it's there are still ways in which my brain tries to escape the moment that I'm in um, and sometimes it takes me a while to catch on to go oh hold on a second maybe maybe there's something going on in your life that you need to look at a little bit more closely but overall it's it's that it's just the the joy of being present for it all oh thank you for that Nikki that is so beautifully said and I loved that the gifts were so beautifully explained, but then on the other side, also the reminder that all those other difficult things you're also mm. present for, but it is mm. that present is being present for them and allowing mm. them in and then passing through, but not avoiding. Mm. So what an incredible mm. answer. Thank you so much. Mm. Um, this is something you don't have to answer, but I am curious when those difficult you know moments come this mm -hmm. disillusionment um the dark mm -hmm. night of the soul are mm -hmm. there any specific practices that you like to do to get yourself through them or to allow yourself to feel mm -hmm. and sit with them that you can share with mm -hmm. us you know me you know that i'll answer all the questions <laughs> to a greater or lesser degree so my go-to my number one practice is just breath just taking one or two simple, slow breaths. And that's because I realized that for quite a long time, I became masterful at what they call spiritual bypassing. So I would create these elaborate rituals in which I would light candles and, um, I mean, I lit incense now before this, this podcast, I, I do love a ritual, but I'd realize that I would be so immersed in the ritual that I wouldn't actually, it would still be a escapism. So for me now, the most supportive thing that I can do, the simplest and most accessible practice is just to drop into my breath. And it doesn't matter where I am, although typically I would like to roll out a mat and put a pillow beneath my knees or my head and just start to 
breathe. And as I slow down my breath, just allow whatever it is that I'm feeling to bubble up or not. Um, but to just make space for whatever it is that is wanting to be seen. Um, a lot of the time when I do that, I am not looking for anything in particular to be felt, but I often find myself just crying, just tears streaming down my face. And I've become quite comfortable with that. And sometimes I don't even need to know what it is. It's just a sense of release and relief. Um, there are other times that it feels too close to the bone to do that. And then I practice my yoga asana, uh, moving through movement, connecting with my breath. So there's still a little bit of distance between me and whatever it is that I'm feeling. Um, sometimes if I don't feel that I have the capacity to come that close to whatever it is that I'm feeling or that wants to be seen, I will get out onto the beach. You know, today is one of these blustery days where it feels like all the cobwebs get blown away. Um, and that's almost like buying myself a bit of time to just move through or for whatever it is that I'm feeling to move through me. Um, and safe in the knowledge that the time will come where I'll be able to sit and get closer to whatever it is. Thank you. Just, I mean, that all sounds very wholesome. Often if I catch myself on my phone scrolling or playing uh, block doku is another thing that I love, or these word searches, that's often a sign to me that there's something that needs, that wants to be seen or felt, and that that's when I need to put my phone down and go and do one of those other practices. So, yeah, it's not a, after all these years, it's still not that there aren't these little self-sabotaging practices that pop up but it's just being more aware of them and kind to them. When I, when I find myself compulsively thinking of what it's, what's, what words are or what might fit into a particular puzzle, it's, it's the sense of, oh, something's not lacquer. Don't, don't sort it out. Yeah. Mm. I hear you and I can relate. Oh, uh, avoidance is also something I really struggle with and, way is it easy to find excuses and ways to stay in avoidance um but mm, yeah, I love yeah. about breathing and getting into your body out of your head with a yoga mm. practice or getting into nature mm. and allowing having no expectation what really stood out mm. for me from that is just allowing uh whatever needs to come can come and mm. if not then it's also just kind of being more present and still not just in distraction mm. but making the space just to mm. be in stillness whether that is in a yoga practice or walking on the beach mm. and having some kind thoughts towards that yeah not pushing away no resistance mm. 
Nikki, thank you so much for these beautiful answers. I want to see what else I've got here to ask you. Um, gosh, let's do a little bit of a, a shift. Um, can you tell me what has been your greatest insights or lessons along the way in the last 10 years? That's a big one. <laughs> So many, there's so many, but I immediately thought of something that I refer to often in my own practice. And when I'm working with coaching clients, um, the sense of what my meditation teacher, Sue Cooper, mm. wonderful Sue Cooper, who um, refers to those fragmented parts of ourselves that we try to push away as the orphans of consciousness. Yeah. And that has helped me so many times. And it's really informed how I show up in my life and the what is often viewed as courage by other people but I see as just part of my ongoing healing which is welcoming yeah not just recognizing but welcoming all those parts of myself all my orphans of consciousness that for a long time I thought were too hideous and too shameful and too embarrassing to allow into the public domain because it's through that that I have made some of my closest friends and it's through that that I've had some of the biggest epiphanies with or that my clients have had their biggest epiphanies the sense of realizing that we are absolutely 100% acceptable and magnificent and enough when we invite those orphans of consciousness to sit with the prettier parts of ourselves, and that we can't pick and choose and this idea that even as when we sit on a meditation stool and all these thoughts and memories and feelings and stories pop up and we try to select which ones we want and which ones we want to push away that it's you're just fighting while I was fighting a losing battle and that it's so much more peaceful to be able to hold it all and make space for for everything and and to even you know you and I are both I think similarly on well it's like so many of the people in our shared world on this spiritual journey on this quest this seeking of knowledge and understanding um, there can often be the sense of not being quite enough just yet you know if only I could get another qualification or if only I could just get over this thing or that thing or look different or feel different and instead going no it's enough already you know where I am right now is is perfect valuable 
respect worthy, admirable, um, with no ego, but also no shame. Um, yeah, that's been a biggie, a really big one. Um, the other, the other big thing that for me was incredibly reassuring is that if we do turn towards these difficult feelings, thoughts, etc., they don't have to become stuck. They can pass through, they can move through. And that we don't always need to know, well, I keep talking about we, I can only speak from my own personal experience. I, I have found that I don't even need to know necessarily what it means or what to do with it. But just to recognize that it's just something that's passing through. And if it's important enough to warrant close attention, then it'll keep coming back. But that sometimes things just pop up. And if I just allow them to be there and to pass through, sooner or later they will. Um, yeah, to hold everything a little bit light, more lightly. I think when I was younger and less equipped at supporting myself, I used to become quite obsessed with these feelings and thoughts and I guess a little bit egocentric and now I just hold it hold it a lot more lightly mm. thank you that's beautiful holding it lightly and holding all of it and experiencing that fullness mm. of what we are which is all the parts mm. yeah I think that just articulates the entire podcast <laughs> concept yeah yeah masterpiece and mess that's it and and for me there's also humor learning from people like um the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, I don't know if you've watched this this thing on Netflix, the Mission Joy, to see these two phenomenal um, gurus, you know, absolute masterpieces, to see how lightly they hold things, even though they feel things so deeply. But there's also the sense of humor and the sense of not taking us, not taking myself too seriously. And recognizing that whether it's with coaching or with ourselves we are dealing with things that really really matter but that we can also find those moments of lightness and where we can laugh at ourselves. and you know this is not to say that I don't take my coaching clients stories extremely seriously I I have to watch myself that I don't become too involved in them because I take them so seriously. But finding that balance between doing the deep introspective work and then also laughing at the comedy of a lot of the situations that certainly I find myself in. Um, 
zooming out a little bit, looking at what we're doing, you know, we're we're hurtling through space on this rotating ball of gas and rock and our lives are this blip in the greater picture of things and yeah kind of trying to find that balance I guess yeah. I love that finding humor playfulness mm, yeah I, when I hold on too tightly and too seriously I get stuck and yeah I, my vision mm. narrows so I can like that makes complete sense to me um, mm. um now <laughs> let's excavate some more of your beautiful wisdom tell me about what your daily practices are that you feel holds you together your framework that no matter what mm. is going on how overwhelmed you're feeling when life strikes, you know, mm. um, mm. what is it that you feel that is essential to your well-being that you need to do every day? Mm. Sorry, my puppy has started chewing on my desk here. So let me just move her. Sweet. Sorry. So the, the non-negotiable is my morning practice. And it takes different forms depending on what's going on in my life. Um, like you, I'm a single mum. My I have a different routine when my children are with me to when they're with their dad. But it always involves waking up before dawn and creating a space for myself inevitably there's a candle and some incense because that feels rich like a ritual for me and I will sit I will just sit and I'll take my so so that is the constant that is the non-negotiable is that I'll just sit in silence for maybe 20 minutes um I may or may not do breath work depending on how I'm feeling that breath work might be calming breath work or it might be energizing breath work depending on what I feel I need I've been journaling since I was 10 years old and that's something that I do as well it's a bit like the morning pages that Julia Cameron refers to in the artist's way um there may or may not be movement, depending on, again, how I'm feeling. There are times where I feel that I just want stillness. And there are times that I feel I don't want to stop moving. So it's that initial sitting in stillness, in the almost darkness, and the quiet, hearing the world waking up around me that just reminds me of my place in the bigger scheme of things it reminds me that i'm connected to nature to everything that's out there and it will inform how i show up in the day to follow so it's not very prescriptive um i've tried various permutations of a morning routine but i find that the more i try to do someone else's routine 
the more I become a rebel and cheat and then start questioning whether I'm doing it right. So for me, that's what it's evolved into. And I, I love to do, I don't actually do a formal gratitude practice in the evening anymore, which I used to do. I find that it's become such a habit that instead I am taking stock throughout the day for all the things that I'm grateful for, you know, so instead of having to create space at the end of the day and recall, I'm, I'm noticing the things as the day unfolds, um, whether it's a friendly petrol pump attendant or a rainbow or a particularly amazing cup of coffee. Uh, it's that sense of just noticing the beauty throughout the day to counterbalance, I suppose, all the negativity that surrounds us all the time, whether it's on WhatsApp groups or, gosh, my neighborhood group, there's a lot of negativity and nastiness on that, um, groups that I can't leave. So, yeah, just just staying awake to the beauty um, because heaven, heavens knows there's enough <laughs> to get down about right especially in South Africa at the moment yeah I would really say that it's as simple as that just a daily sitting beautiful yeah and I like that you you just sit you just mm. space for yourself a space of quietness um rushing mm. into the day yeah mm. and also the mindfulness of uh experiencing delightful moments or mm. um, appreciation right there in that moment mm. Mm. the fullness of that moment and um, mm. you know being more present. you know that's it and and i'm so aware of the passing of time you know we were talking before you started recording about our children getting older and just going my word life is passing so fast in so many ways and the older I get, certainly, the more I'm hearing of friends and family and people who are experiencing loss of loved ones and loved ones that might be parents, friends, children, pets. And this reminder to not take anything for granted. Uh, so walking, I guess it's in a way, it's like beginner's mind, walking on the beach with my dog. It feels like the first time every time um, driving my children to school. I mean, we do have a very beautiful drive past misty cliffs and along the coast. But I said to my kids last week, I said, it's been a year. We've been living here for a year and I'm still as excited as I was when we got here to do that nine minute drive. It's the sense of just things can change in the blink of an eye and just be grateful just be grateful for our health for my health for their health for the food on the table for the shoes on my feet you know it sounds really um stereotypical to say that but just realizing this unbelievable privilege that every single breath is mark pilgrim watching his story unfolding and just watching that beautiful man fading away 
and just you know wanting to be one of those people where they say there were no regrets at the end there was not a sense of having taken anything for granted um yeah it really i find it a transformational way to live my life especially with my background in addiction where i'd have blackouts where it's not that i'd pass out it's that i just had complete memory failure i would still be functioning i'd still be walking and talking at parties and um i wouldn't have a recollection of it the next day and just going shit i want to be here now for it all good or bad i'm here i'm i'm, I'm showing up <laughs> yeah, the magic of being alive mm. and what a miracle it is <laughs> it's so crazy. absolutely it's miraculous bonkers <laughs> yeah, love it. and what a beautiful reminder thank you so much for that um i am mindful of your time um but let's try and fit one more in <laughs> so okay. i feel we've hardly touched on on you you being a, a a life coach a professional life coach but also a mindfulness coach as well as a yoga mm -hmm. teacher um as a coach working with individuals um you work with them to clarify their vision and their purpose um, I mean, if you had asked me three years ago, what is it that I really want to do? I was at this impasse in my life and I, I had no idea. So that was such mm. a hard journey for me and I didn't have a coach. Um, mm. And I think it would have made that journey, uh, gosh, it would have shortened the journey. Mm. Mm. Um, what is it that you can share about that process that you see working with people helping them find and clarify their vision and their purpose mm. is there something you can share with the listeners that that you know a practice something uh, a useful tip that they can practice mm. anybody mm. out there listening and struggling to know what is the next step the inspired mm. action so first of all, congratulations for having done it on your own. That is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And I was just struck by when you were saying it took longer than perhaps it could have or should have. But I have no doubt that it took exactly as long as it needed to take. Yeah. The thing that strikes me again and again and again with my coaching clients is how reluctant they are to trust their intuitive wisdom and that I absolutely believe that every single one of us and this is based very much on what I've read but also what I've experienced with my coaching clients if we become quiet enough if we turn towards ourselves instead of to others for clarification on what we need, we know. And that often what we need and what my clients need is encouragement to, first of all, hear, and secondly, to listen to that voice, that inner wisdom that we are reluctant to 
we either can't hear or we hear and we don't believe it or we don't trust it or we don't trust our ability to not just act upon what we hear but to handle the inevitable change and transformation that may come from doing that um yeah it's it's that it's the sense of i'm trying to think if there's ever been a situation it's why i love coaching because as a coach i don't show up with the answers i would never dream to tell someone what to do as a coach because i have no idea about their life and their upbringing and their experiences and their beliefs but i do believe that we do have the ability to figure out what's best for us and as long as we've got someone helping us along that way we'll get there sooner rather than later because i do think that we'll get there sooner or later but sometimes it's that later that can be harmful we can have gone a long way down a path that wasn't right for us whether it's in a career or a relationship or our journey with ourselves. Um, and having a coach who can be that mirror uh, and who can encourage us to listen to what we actually feel and what is actually our voice and not the voice of our parents or our partner or our culture or the media or whatever it might be um yeah what a thrill that is what a what a privilege that is thank you nikki that's such a powerful reminder for me about why i'm drawn to coaching and why everyone needs a coach <laughs> yeah and and making time for ourselves to, mm. to be quiet and mm. I think it also kind of comes full circle to what you said earlier about sobriety is not being an avoidance and mm -hmm. and showing up for yeah. ourselves and making time and mm. not going into distraction, not yeah. pushing things away, but sitting and being quiet and allowing ourselves mm. to feel the feelings, but also perhaps get some clarity and hear mm. our voice and love that. What's hear that? our own voice yeah right because so often i'll have people coming to me who have an idea of what they should be doing in a particular situation and very often it's not what it's not what their voice is telling them it will be totally the opposite of what their voice is telling them but there's this deep mistrust of what they feel they want to do whether it's turning down a promotion at work because they think that you know at this point in their career they should be taking the increased responsibility the title the pay slip and going but I don't want to do that what I want to do is something different or I'm at a stage now where I should be tying the knot and having the babies for example and going but I don't want that I want to travel the world and and going it, you've got one life yeah, be be mindful about the choices that you're making, but don't live anyone else's life. Figure out what it is that you want to do and trust in your ability to handle whatever will come, even if it's not what you feel that you've been training to do. It's a self-belief. Yeah. 
the trusting that you can handle. Oh, that's so cool. You can handle it. Yes. Yeah, what a beautiful thing to say. Oh, Nikki, there's so much already um, for our listeners to digest. You've shared so much wisdom and thank you for sharing your experience with us so honestly. Um, it's been a delight. I uh, Thank you. And um, yeah, maybe we'll do this again sometime further down the line. Absolutely. I'd love that. I'd love that. And just to say thank you to you for having me here. I was incredibly nervous beforehand. I had no idea what you were going to ask me. So I'm feeling very relieved right now and I'm very grateful for the opportunity just to to talk. We've been threatening to do it for so long and yeah, it's it's been a a joy. Thank you. Where can people get hold of you? Where can they reach you if they want to work with you? Okay, so my business is Meta365, which is M-E-T-T-A, numbers365.com. And that is different to the Facebook Meta, which is M-E-T-A. A lot of people say that they've searched for that, M-E-T-T-A365.com. And I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook uh, if you search Meta365 or Meta365 Coach, then it will come up. Thank you. Yeah. I'll Good. Shoot. Oh, I loved this conversation with Nikki. Such powerful reminders about being more present for all of life's experiences and allowing the more difficult moments to have airtime too. I am grateful to Nikki for openly speaking about her recovery journey with such poignancy and just know how valuable and encouraging this will be for others going through the same arduous pilgrimage to sobriety. What will stay with me especially is her encouragement for us to welcome all the parts of ourselves and know that we are 100% lovable and acceptable in our messy humanness. I especially loved Nikki's coaching philosophy of helping her clients listen and trust their inner voice and intuition to find their true purpose and path in this one wild life we have been given. If you've enjoyed this conversation too, please consider rating, reviewing or sharing it. Thank you for listening.